Well, last week, uh, Matt kicked us off on a new preaching series that we're doing called Entrusted. And this is a sermon series where we are talking about the idea of stewardship. Now, stewardship for me is one of those like really churchy words, which sounds like something we talk about in church, but apart from that, it's weird to talk about in everyday life. So when we talk about stewardship, here's, here's what we mean by it. Is, that, is, is how we look after the things that we're responsible for that aren't ultimately ours. How we look after the things we're responsible for that aren't ultimately ours. And, and Matt reminded us last week uh, that everything belongs to God. We, we read from Psalm 24. That it, it starts out, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Everything's God's. He made it. It belongs to him. He is king over creation. But also, we're responsible for what we've been given by God, and we're responsible to use it for his glory. Right? That is what stewardship means. How we use God's stuff to glorify him. And last week, Matt preached a, a great sermon. I, I listened to the podcast a couple times, mostly to just kind of like boost our numbers. Um, I'm just kidding, Matt. It was, it was a great sermon. But he, he, talked, he talked to us about stewarding our stories, right? That we're entrusted with our lives and experiences and what we've been through and, and to be able to use that for God's glory by, by listening to other people's stories well by sharing our stories with a level of honesty and vulnerability, and, and by making Jesus the center of those stories. We can glorify God as we steward the experiences and the stories that we've had. This week, we're going to talk about the idea of being entrusted with the gospel. Being entrusted with the gospel. That we are stewards of the gospel. And this is where we need to start this morning. By asking the question... What is the gospel? Because for a lot of us, that is a word that we take for granted. It's another really churchy word. And if we use the word gospel in like everyday life, we're thinking about like a, a Grammy's award category, right? Like it's a, a genre of music. Or it's something you talk about in church. But, but what do we mean when we say the gospel? Some of you... When you think gospel, your mind immediately goes to a verse that you've memorized since a little kid of John 3.16, right? That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, right? You could quote that off probably in the King James in your sleep, some of you. For some of us, we, we think of the gospel, we think of the fact that, that in Christ our sins are forgiven. Or we think of, of the idea of salvation, uh, that I'm saved from something. That, that when I die, I get to go to heaven and not hell. That's what we think of when we think of the gospel. Sometimes we hear gospel and we think of the story of Jesus' life. Like how it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These accounts of Jesus' life. These biographies that are called the gospels. The, the, the gospel of Jesus. When Jesus talked about the gospel in the, the biographies about his life, he talked about the gospel of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is near. 
The, the gospel, when it's, it's proclaimed, can be anything as short as believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, which we see the, the disciples saying in the book of Acts, all the way to Stephen before he's stoned in, in the book of Acts. He goes through like the whole Old Testament and how everything is pointing to Jesus and somehow Jesus is the answer. So if all of these things are what we think of when we think of the gospel, what is the gospel? I'm going to say yes to all of those. But through my time this week, I, it actually took me a long time to go through like when the gospel is proclaimed or talked about in the New Testament, what is it that they're saying? And so this is kind of my like condensing it all down into one thing. All right? So when I'm talking about the gospel this morning, here's what I mean. That Jesus' life death, and resurrection proves that God is accomplishing his promise to restore all things, and you're invited. That Jesus' life, death, and resurrection proves that God is accomplishing his promise to restore all things, and you're invited. Let's, Let's think about this for a little bit. We know that God created all things. The Bible tells us that early on, his creation strayed from him, rebelled from him. That Adam and Eve, in eating the fruit, sin was brought into the world. It corrupted his creation. And so you and I, humanity, and the rest of creation, we're tainted by sin. That's, that's ruined our relationship with God. That's, that's affected the way that we interact with one another. But we read that God is committed to restoring this creation affected by sin. And when we talk about this, we mean that he's going to forgive our sin through Jesus. And we talk about this through our our atonement series. He's going to remove our guilt and our shame. It means he's going to reconcile the relationship between us and our creator. He's going to invite us into his family to be his children. He's going to overcome the power of the enemy and, and dark spiritual forces that have sway in the world. That he's going to show us the true purpose and meaning for our lives and why we're even here. And he's going to save us from the ultimate consequences of our sins. God is trying to restore all things to himself. And what we see in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus is that this is actually happening. God is accomplishing what he promised to do. We talked about this on Easter Sunday, that if the resurrection of Jesus happened, it means that God's plan of what he's doing in the world is actually coming about. And when you look at how the gospel is proclaimed by Jesus' early followers and in the writings of Paul, it is this announcement anchored in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that something happened in that that proves that God is accomplishing what he promised he would do, and we're all invited to be part of it. Now here's the next step we need to take. That the gospel is good news and not good advice. Here's what I mean by this. The word gospel is an old English word that literally means good news. Or, you know, in the the old King James, glad tidings. That's why, like, every Pentecostal church is called glad tidings for some reason. It's, It's from this word. Good news. 
It comes from the Greek word euangelion, where we get the word evangelical, right? Which has been usurped as a political ideology rather than a movement of the church, but that's a different sermon for a different day. (laughs) But a euangelion, a good news, is the gospel, is a word that was used in the time of Jesus in the Roman Empire where they would announce a military victory, right? If they went and they conquered a land or they they defeated their enemy in battle, a messenger from the army would come back and they would pronounce the good news that victory has been won. Good news that Caesar has conquered his enemies. Or when a new heir to the throne had been born, messengers would go out throughout the empire and announce the good news, the euangelion, the gospel, that there was a new heir to the throne. This language has been kidnapped by the Christians to say there's a good news message that we're sharing. There is good news. There's something that has happened and it requires a response. It's not just something that you can tack on and add good advice, but it is an announcement of an event that has taken place. This is good news, an event that has taken place, and we're going to have to respond to it. We're going to have to deal with this event has happened. What will our response be? So the question for us in in hearing the gospel, in hearing Jesus died and was resurrected, and God is doing this great thing, and he's inviting us to be part of it, we're called to respond to this good news. What does that response look like? The the question often that's that's asked in, in you know, churchy circles is, is how do I get saved? Or how do I become a Christian? Or how do I give my life to Christ? How do I respond to this good news, the gospel? And there are, there are ways of responding that we see as kind of a pattern throughout the New Testament to repent and believe and to follow. Now, we're getting just like a bucket load of churchy words this morning. So, We're going to talk about the word repent. Because when you hear the word repent, maybe like me, you hear it in almost like a heavy-handed way of like feel really bad about what you did. Like sit in your shame for a moment, please. Repent, in its kind of original language context, literally means turn around. So rather than it primarily saying, you need to feel really shameful right now. What repent actually means is, instead of going my way, turn around and go God's way. Instead of considering myself to be king and Lord and God of my life, turn around and see Jesus as king and Lord and God of your life. It's about changing direction from saying, I'm just going to pursue what I want and what I think is the good life and the most fulfilling outcome for me, and I'm actually going to turn to repent and trust God's way of what he says is best for me, shown to me in Jesus. I'm going to stop pretending that the life that I'm pursuing is actually what is best for me. I will be honest and confess how my sin has affected that and I'm going to receive God's forgiveness and turn towards Jesus. To repent is to turn from saying, I'm king, 
to acknowledging that Jesus is. Then the, the disciples, when they preached the gospel, they, they often said to believe, right, in the Lord Jesus Christ. To, to repent and believe, to, to respond in, in faith. And what this means is there are things that we need to mentally acknowledge to be true. Like we have to say, okay, I'm, I'm on board with that idea. Often saying that Jesus is who he says he is. And that Jesus has risen from the dead. In Romans 10, Paul says this about about this very idea. He says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. There there has to be something that we we say, okay, I I agree with this idea that, that God raised Jesus from the dead. That he is Lord. And that belief, that the faith in that happening is the thing that saves us. Lastly, we're called to follow. And what this means isn't... It means that when we agree with something, to say, okay, I agree with the historical fact that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. To follow is to say, I trust that enough that I'm going to take a step forward with it. I trust that enough that I'm actually going to, to act upon it. To let it be more than just intellectual agreement, but a faith that is trusting enough to take a step forward. To take a step forward to be able to declare publicly that I'm on board. So one of the ways that we do that is in baptism a way of publicly declaring, okay, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead and he's Lord of my life. And so I'm going to take the step forward and publicly express that through being baptized. Jesus' own invitation to those who, who heard his teaching was to follow me, was to learn from me, to put my words into practice and find rest for your souls. Jesus' invitation to the good news is to follow. This following is a lifelong practice of setting aside what I think is right and trusting what Jesus says is right. It's the lifelong practice of walking with our new Lord and King and trusting that He's going to shape us and transform us, and take me from the Tyler that I was five years ago to the Tyler that he's shaping me to be. To follow step by step. I love uh, the, the words of Eugene Peterson. To, uh, he calls it a long obedience in the same direction. And trusting that in following Jesus, that's where we're going to find our ultimate joy, is in the walk with him. The trusting that even though my natural tendency is to want to do things otherwise, what's best for me, what will bring me the most joy, is in walking with my resurrected Savior. Here's a caveat that I need to put in here. The gospel and the, the being part of God's family, the being saved part that we talk about, is not something we earn. 
It's not something that we, we try to prove to God why He should save us or clean ourselves up enough so that we look holy or, or good enough to be accepted by God. The gospel is a gift. Something that has been done on our behalf that we could not do for ourselves, that we receive. That we acknowledge that, that God, you have been gracious and merciful to me, and so I will receive what you have done for me in Christ on the cross. And I'll respond by turning, by trusting, and by following. God has done something for us and given it to us that we couldn't do for ourselves, and so we receive it and we respond. And as those who have received this, who have responded to the call, of the, the good news, to, to turn and to follow Jesus, we're entrusted with the gospel that we have received. I've um, sometimes fallen into the tendency to believe the phrase, if you want to do something right, you need to do it yourself. And uh, <laughs> that's never helpful. Um, when you want to live in relationship with other human beings. That's not God's philosophy. God chooses to use us in his work of inviting others into the saving renewal through Jesus. Listen, God could just like do what he wants and leave us out of the process, but he chooses to invite us in to be part of it. He chooses, us to, to, chooses to entrust us with the good news that we've received to present the good news to others, to be, to be spreaders of this, this great news that because of what Jesus has done, we know that God is renewing creation and we get to be part of it. And being part of it, being invited in, means we're part of sharing it. Let me, let me read to you Jesus' last words in the Gospel of Matthew. This is often called the Great Commission. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to, to obey the commands I've given to you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here's what we grab from this. Is Jesus calls those of us who would consider ourselves his disciples of whatever generation, whether it's 2,000 years ago or as disciples of Jesus in Kings County in the 21st century. Our call is to be disciples who are making disciples, who are inviting others to respond to the good news of the gospel. Paul, he, he goes maybe even a step further in 2 Corinthians and how he talks about this. And I've, I've used this passage several times over the last, uh, last few weeks. But in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away, and see, everything new, everything has become new. This is part of God's renewal that he's doing. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us 
the Ministry of Reconciliation. That's not a government agency. That is a task for us to be part of. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we're ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. So we entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Paul's understanding of being those who have been reconciled to God is to be those who have been entrusted with God with the task, the ministry of reconciliation, of inviting others. Get on board with what God is doing. He's making all things new. The cross and resurrection proves it. And you can be part of it. You're welcomed in. So what does it look like then for us to be entrusted with this gospel to go forward with it? First of all, we need to, we need to decide. Here's what I mean by this. We need to make sure the gospel is real to us before we go and we share it with others. And so maybe for you this morning, you haven't actually like made a decision to say, okay, I'm responding to the gospel of Jesus. I want to receive what Christ has done for me on the cross through his death and resurrection that covers my sin, that reconciles me to God. We, we can do a seven-part sermon series on what all of that stuff means. But, but maybe this morning you're like, I need to receive that. Or, or at least say, I need to take a step further to, to examine that in more depth. To see if that's actually what I want to be a part of and receive. And if you're in that place this morning, I, listen, I'm excited for you because I believe the Spirit of God is working. And I want to invite you into conversation with that. If you want to talk further about that, I'd, I'd love to have that conversation. Or I'm sure there are others in the family who would love to have that kind of conversation with you. The second thing is we're called to embody the gospel that we proclaim. St. Francis of Assisi was, was, uh, I think, mistakenly quoted as saying, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And it's a phrase that it's been on coffee mugs and you've probably seen it shared on social media and that kind of thing. And I both love and I hate that phrase. Here's what I mean by it. Is that the gospel should be evidenced in our lives. Some of us, sometimes we we read that phrase and we say, I don't need to talk to anybody about Jesus because I'm living it. But I think it should be more taken in in the sense of let our lives be such a clear picture of the gospel that people hear, they see the gospel is proclaimed just by our lives. Embodying the gospel means we are going to reorient our lives around the reality that Jesus has died and risen He's taken our place. He's cleansed us from our sins. We're invited in the family, and we're not even worthy of it. Have you ever met those kind of people where they walk in the room and you have a conversation with them and you feel like you understand the gospel better just because you've been around this person? And it's not even so much like the, the explicit like theology that they say, but the, the, the life that they live, you, you see Jesus in them. 
Man, I would love for us to be a people where the gospel is just so evidenced in our lives that when people spend time with us, regardless of whether we get to have a conversation about who Jesus is, there's this sense of like, man, I I want what they have. I, I want the Jesus that they claim to follow. I pray that we would be a people that embody the gospel in our lives by the help of God, because we're not going to be able to do it ourselves. Through a life of intimacy and depth and growing and getting to know our Savior, that maybe by the power of the Spirit it would rub off on us a little bit. Lastly, we are called to actually share the gospel, to, to talk to other people about the good news of what Jesus has done. And listen, this is not This isn't the confrontational 30-second conversation on the sidewalk. And maybe some of us were so afraid of talking to anyone about Jesus because we've grown up with this model of like, it has to look like what Ray Comfort does, and that's not me. If you know who Ray Comfort is, you know what I'm talking about. Where I'm going to go up with a microphone and a video camera and like confront people of like, you're a liar! You're a liar! You deserve the fires of hell! He's Australian, so that's... It doesn't have to be that. But sometimes we're so, we're so like, that's what we've seen and that's all we know. And we're like, I'm never going to do that. I love people too much to put them in that weird conversation. Right? It doesn't have to be some weird, like, 30-second prepackaged formula of ABC. It's definitely not in the Facebook comment section. But we need to be able to articulate the reason we have hope. We need to be able to say, this is why I follow Jesus. This is what he's done for me. Maybe one of the best ways to do that, and like Matt shared last week, is to tell our story. To say what Jesus has done for us. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to use theological language. In fact, it's probably better if it doesn't. Because when people hear repent and sanctification and tabernacle, they're like, what are you talking about? It doesn't have to be perfectly worded. You don't have to include every point in there. You just have to be willing Willing to be used by God. Let let me read to you the words of Paul. This is one of the most relieving things, I think, that we can read from Paul. He says, when I first came to you, he's talking to the Corinthian church, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you about God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching was very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Listen, God's going to save people the Holy Spirit is going to be working in people's hearts 
and drawing them to Christ to respond to the gospel. That's what God does. We just get to be part of the process. And and I think it's so important for us to have a fleshed out understanding that the Holy Spirit is going to do this because that, that takes the pressure off. Like we don't have to like rhetorically persuade people into this awkward place of like all you can do is say, okay, like I'm on board. But that if the Spirit is working in someone's heart, God's going to do that work. Amen. <laughs> You may have heard the language um, throughout the pandemic of something that's been called the great resignation, where throughout the pandemic, people have assessed their their lives and their workplaces, things like that, and, and said, do you know what? This actually isn't a fit for me. This isn't what I want for my life. And there has been an unprecedented number of resignations and people no longer working at the same jobs they did. But I read a, a really interesting article from the Associated Press this week, talking about after the great resignation that's happened in the pandemic, they're they're noticing something that they're calling the great reinvention, which is throughout this time, these weird two years that we've been part of, not only have people decided, okay, this job isn't the right fit for me, but it's actually been a time where people are asking questions that they've never asked before or allowing themselves to sit in the question of what what is my life actually about? What's actually the the purpose why I'm here? what, What am I to do with my life? And I think this is actually like a, a beautifully tilled up soil by the Holy Spirit for the gospel. I think this is a way where the Spirit is actually at work where, where, man, I'm, I'm sure those of us in this room, there, there's some of us where we're just like, we're working through some of this. That the Spirit is moving. That there's a spiritual hunger to see God at work and, 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 and that He is behind the scenes working in our hearts in some way. The question is, for those of us who have received the Gospel and responded, will we say yes to God's invitation to go and to share. Trusting that the Spirit's at work. For those of us who, who, have, who have heard the gospel and, and have not yet responded to it, we're going to have to decide. Like, what am I going to do about this guy who died and rose from the dead? And if that happened, then everything is different. May we all turn. May we all believe. And may we all follow. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you you are good news to us. That the God who created all things is making all things new and we see that clearly, Jesus, in what you've done for us. And God, I know that this is a, a, a mixed room. There are some of us here who we've considered ourselves Christians since we've been three months old and 
been chewing on the back of the pew we grew up in. And now there are some of us here where we're just we're exploring what Jesus means for us. Spirit, I pray that that each of us would respond in the way that you're inviting us to. Whether that's to say yes to Christ, or whether that's to say yes to Christ, that I'm I'm willing to be part of this work, this ministry of reconciliation. To to steward the gospel well. Spirit, would you do the work in our hearts that only you can do? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.